Welcome to the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, as usual, Andrew Shutsky. And with me today is Jeff Greenberg. Jeff is a CEO and managing member of Synergetic Investment Group and manages all aspects of commercial real estate, including acquisitions, operations, value add, dispositions, and investor relations. He's been around the block. He's been involved in projects totaling over $50 million and over 1,000 units across four states. Jeff, thanks for joining. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. No, it's a special treat for sure. So Jeff's, uh, for those who don't know, he's out in the California area. So he's about over 3,000 miles from where I am in Philadelphia. So he's right now enjoying the uh, much nicer weather than we are in Philly. <laughs> so yeah. we'll hold that against him. So Jeff, let's, let's dig in a bit. So you were a technology guy, just like myself. What brought you into the investing world? Well, at the time, I was uh, going through a divorce and uh, decided that once we divide up all our assets uh, and our retirement, that things weren't looking real good. <laughs> I decided I needed to do something. Yeah. So where did you go from there? Is that just kind of a spur of the moment decision or did you do some research? Um, I did a lot of research. I went to a lot of meetups and a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of podcasts back then, mm -hmm. but just talked to a lot of people and, uh, you know, looked into the single family, uh, space. And this was, uh, around 2005. So the market was getting ready to drop off. Um, so it wasn't a great time, uh, to be getting into single family homes, or at least, uh, the REOs that I was looking at, you know, the bank owned properties, uh, the banks were gathering up a lot of foreclosed properties and didn't know what the heck to do with them. And so it was hard to get them to release them. So did you start in the single family and acquire a few of those first? I started in the single family, but no, I never acquired any. Um, at that time, it was very difficult. It was hard to catch that falling knife because uh, the prices were going down so fast that my budgets were just falling apart. If the, the bank uh, took a couple months to to approve a, an offer, uh, the price kept going down and down and down, and it just wasn't working out. And that's when I started looking into uh, multifamily, into commercial space. And I know uh, what, what I like about your background, what's unique that we didn't mention in the intro, is that you're into student housing or you were into student housing. Did you start there? Or did you start with your traditional apartment buildings like everybody else like me goes after? I started in the traditional uh, uh, apartment buildings. Uh, actually, a 20-unit property was the first one I started with. Student housing came along later, kind of by accident. Okay. So 20-unit, and then you scaled up from there, I assume? Yeah, we did the 20-unit, and then we did a 60-unit. And then we jumped into a small uh, portfolio of uh, actually pretty much residential properties uh, that we treated as a 28 unit. It was actually eight different properties. Some of them were single, some were duplexes, triplexes, 
and there was one that was actually uh, 12 units. That okay. was really the only commercial property. So when you say we, did you find a partner that locally that you wanted to work with? or um, prior, prior to that student housing, I did have a partner that I worked with, not local. She's actually up in Alaska. And <laughs> we stayed together for three or four years and bought bought a few properties together. But she had other plans, and so we amicably uh, broke up just before I bought the student housing property. Okay. Makes sense. So that one I did myself. That one, essentially, I had a college intern that helped me out, but essentially, everything was on me. Do you feel like that was worthwhile? Was it a lot of heavy lifting? Were you doing this full-time at that time? or? Uh, no, I was not doing it full time and no, I would never want to do it again by myself, but the experience that I had, and and I would have been devastated if I didn't have the experience from the previous deals working with the partner, but it wasn't a fun venture doing it all myself. Um, you know, getting, getting the loan, doing the due diligence, uh, raising the equity, trying to find the insurance carriers, you know, getting uh, the property management, all of it was pretty much on me. And uh, that wasn't a real fun experience. It's still a great property, but it was a lot of work. I know firsthand, it's a massive amount of work. I can't imagine trying to tackle that on your own with a, with a full-time gig in the background. So, Oh, absolutely. And, and the, the lending was, a real issue because of some unique things about the deal. In fact, um, there's a Joe Fairless podcast where he interviewed me about the issues I had with the lending uh, on that property that fortunately I had a great seller and kept allowing me to extend uh, as each lender that said they would do the deal fell off. Uh, until we finally found a private bank that uh, was willing to take on the property. And what what time period was this? Was this just a sign of the times or was it something specific to the deal that was problematic? Well, the time was, uh, let's see, uh, this September will be six years. So if you work backwards, it's what about 2015 uh, when the deal was happening. But the reason that this deal had some special characteristics one, it was a, it was eight different properties. Okay, they were not contiguous to each other. Seven of them were either across the street or next door to each other. One was a half a mile away. Okay, we were doing it in a syndication. The syndicator, which typically in a syndication deal, you have uh, a thirty percent owner having a hundred percent control, which which some some uh, lenders didn't like, you know, that's a typical syndication model. Um, There was one lender didn't like the fact that nobody on my team, including myself lived in the state of Ohio. Um, Another one didn't like student housing. Um, It just, (laughs) we just kept missing each one of those check boxes until finally a private bank out of Kentucky um, finally went and lent on it. And how long did this take end to end? I think we went under contract in March and we closed in September. Okay. So that's uh, not your traditional 90 day, 60 day. <laughs> no, no. Fortunately, the seller 
knew that I really wanted the deal and he really wanted to get rid of it because he had, he had grown so large that this was a small deal for him. It was just, this was like his first, his first venture and his company had gotten so huge that it was just kind of, you know, too much work for the size of it. And so they were interested in selling. They actually, the owners actually went to college uh, there and that was where they lived and they started buying properties while they were in college. They went to Miami university. Okay. So interesting. I had a guest on a few weeks back whose first uh, multifamily was a fraternity home. So it's kind of mm-hmm. timely that you're talking about student housing, you know, in the same realm of, uh, of type of opportunity. So how did you, what, what attracted you to student housing versus the multifamily stuff? Just found my the- intern found the deal. Okay. <laughs> okay. And he came to me and says, yeah, it's uh, by the university of Miami. And I say, Oh, in Florida? He said, no, in Ohio. I said, what the hell? (laughs) I never heard of, you know, (laughs) Miami University in Ohio. Um, But when I, you know, I did some research on it and I liked the area. I liked the market. I liked the school. I liked the numbers. I was able to make an offer that was well below what they were trying to get um, earlier because they had two other buyers that had fallen through, which I could see why, because they couldn't get the loan. Um, but so they offered it to me at a much lower price. So the numbers looked good. And I was excited about student housing. I thought that was, you know, a great niche. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't look for it. And my intern uh, actually wouldn't tell me where he found the deal until after I closed because he found it on LoopNet and he thought I would get upset with him. But uh, so <laughs> anybody that says there's no deals on LoopNet, you know, it happens sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I know, you know, firsthand as well. It might be a needle in a haystack, but they're out there, especially the aging properties, right? Well, the thing was on this one is, is since it fell through twice, the price that they originally were trying to get it at um, maybe that's why the person couldn't close, but I, I went and got it for a lower price. And also there was actually two more single family homes in the package at the time that they had put too much money into. And because of that, they, they needed to get a higher price for it. So when they pulled those two, uh, those two houses out of the deal, they were able to give me a much better package. That's great. And so I tried to buy those other two houses later on, but they needed to get too much to get the money back that they had put into it. So was this a one and done or did you become a serial student housing uh, expert after this? Well, I did end up getting two other student housing properties after that. I've got another one in Georgia and I've got another one in uh, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Are you Uh, still looking for the similar properties today? um, I'm a little bit hesitant on student housing at this point in time, mainly because of uh, COVID and what I've seen happen. But I do believe that I would buy student housing in the future, but I would definitely look at it with with a different lens. Um, Because whoever thought something like this would happen, that 
that student or schools would close down, right. you know, that they do all online learning. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't in our realm at that time. Yeah. You, logically you would think if there's any guarantee kids are going to go to school, right? So exactly. <laughs> but I wonder, I mean, yeah, that least, was one it, of the things I always said was the student housing did very well during the great recession. They did very well. They mm -hmm. dropped slightly, but most of the time you get somebody coming out of high school. If that parent wants them to get to college, they're going to get them in there somehow. Okay. If, you know, if, yeah. if money's tight or not, because if you go and stay out of from high school, go to work for a year or something to get back into school mode is, is a real tough push. So the parents are going to want them to, to get into college, you know, right out of high school. And also if people lose their jobs, a lot of times they'll go back to school. Yeah, very true. So on the operations side, does it take a special skill set to manage those types of assets or is it any property manager you can lift and shift? No, absolutely. You need someone that specializes in student housing um, that either they're exclusively student housing or they, they are very apt at it. Um, the main thing with, with the student housing, first of all, some of the, some properties will do buy the bed rentals. Some will do buy the unit. Um, some of the properties will do uh, uh, roommate matching where they'll try to match personalities, you know, living together, living situations, mm -hmm. but also it's a whole different uh, marketing scheme. You market a lot differently on the student housing. You don't just go and put it in apartments.com or, or um, you know, or Craigslist and expect to, to lease up. You go to school events prior, prior to COVID. You go to school events, you put uh, ads in school magazines and newspapers. Uh, you make sure you're, you're up on the bulletin board at the uh, off-campus housing office if the school has it. There's just a lot of things that you do uh, as far as marketing that is time-consuming, uh, as well as social media, because the, the, that age group obviously is very active in social media. So most yeah. property management companies aren't equipped to put that much time into marketing. Do you found that they, they charge a higher rate because of the effort involved? Yeah. Yeah. Typically you're going to pay more for property management with the student housing. Um, I'm paying uh, my Ohio one. We're paying 10%. Oh, wow. That's... Which, which is pretty, which is high, but I also don't pay any for this particular one. I don't pay anything for any advertising because all the advertising they do, they advertise all of their properties together. Okay. And so it's all massed together. They don't charge me extra. They have their own website. So I don't need my own website. Um, so all of that kind of stuff, uh, we don't pay. So we save on that end of it. That's really great tips for anybody looking to get into this niche. You don't, you don't often see it covered uh, really at all. So I appreciate you sharing that. So shift gears to your, to your business. I think you had mentioned in passing to me, you know, maybe a month or so back that you're focusing on the capital raising side and the investor side. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, I'm making a shift. Um, I've been doing the, the, the running as the main GP and the main equity raiser for the last 12 years. And I'm ready for a shift uh, that I want to make use of my experience, my expertise in evaluating deals and deal sponsors mm -hmm. 
and bring that to the investors. And that way I could help investors get into deals and it'll be a lot safer by doing many of the due diligence tasks that investors don't. Uh, in you know, throughout my deals, the investors did very little as far as due diligence. They trusted me, and that's great. I appreciate that. Um, but the thing is, is if they're getting to other deals, they're not doing the due diligence on the deal sponsor. They're really not doing the due diligence on the deal itself. Um, and they're not, and the priority should be on the deal sponsor. I think that's number one. 100%. You do a lot of uh, due diligence on the deal sponsor and the deal is secondary, which I think that a lot of investors are missing that. And so that's a part I can play and help educate the uh, investors and help them <clears throat> help them get more safely into deals. That's a great point. And I, if you think about it, it doesn't really matter how good the deal is when you buy it. If it's not managed effectively, you can't execute the business plan. There's so much at risk there. There's the credibility play. So that's huge. That's huge. So how are you finding, uh, let's, let's start with two pieces. How are you finding the investors? Um, right now, most of the investors I have either are, they come to me after listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been on quite a few. Uh, the other, I run, a, I run several uh, meetups right now. They're all virtual. I meet people that way. I've over the years, I've gone to many different seminars, many different uh, events that I meet a lot of uh, investors that way. Uh, I'm in the middle of just doing some shifting on that, improving my website, uh, improving um, or writing, starting to write articles that I could put out there and get investors to come to me that way. But that's that's where my, my shift is at this point, is doing more of trying to bring investors in and help educate them. Yeah, that's for sure a gap. So what about in the sponsors side? How are you finding the deals and the sponsors? Are you looking at the same type of events or is it more targeted, unique strategy for that? Um, I, over the years, I have met a lot of high quality deal sponsors. Um, I belong to a mastermind where there's over three and a half billion dollars of ownership uh, in that group. I could, I could probably just work with that group for the, you know, the next 20 years and just associate with them and help them with their deals. Um, but I also, as I meet other people, uh, if they're interested in, um, me helping them with equity, I would spend the time and uh, do my due diligence on them, you know, learn about them, get to know them, you know, way before I would bring investors in. Um, and, you know, if a deal comes up right away, you know, probably won't even do anything with it, maybe invest myself, but I wouldn't bring investors in until I spent the time being comfortable with the deal sponsor. That's how strongly I feel about the deal sponsor. You're hitting on, again, another great list of points. It reminds me a lot of, uh, I don't know if you've read Brian Burke's book, The Hands-Off Investor. A lot of that stuff is covered there, and he's been around a long, long time. He's got it in his hand for those who obviously can't see the video. He's waving it in front of the camera. So really, really great read. I actually read that two times in a row because I felt there was so much. It was almost like a textbook. I think I wrote to him after. I was like, hey, man, this is like a college course for 20, for 12 bucks or whatever it was. What a bargain. <laughs> 
that's funny because I wrote to him also. Did you? Uh, I wrote to him also because it was so thorough. Uh, it, it's a great book. Uh, I, I don't know if you've met Brian before, but I've known Brian for quite a few years. Uh, great guy. And he is so articulate that yes. uh, excellent read. Um, for anybody that either wants to be a passive investor or those people raising money for passive investing or whatever, it's it's just a, a very uh, extensive read on what you should be looking for in deals. No, he did a great job on that book. Absolutely. I, I've read, I think, almost all of them out there, 30 plus, and that for sure is in the top two or three for me. So Yeah. I mean, as far as somebody coming in and, and looking to uh, learn more about what they should do to uh, more safely get into a, a deal, um, certainly should look at that book. And, you know, there's some others out there, but um, that one's probably the best as far as yep. focusing on the passive investor. Totally agree. And kind of shifting gears a bit, what advice would you give someone maybe in their first or second year as a aspiring GP, um, how to meet investors, what, what goes well at a 5,000 foot level, what advice would you give them? Well, the thing is, is to go to different events um, right now. I mean, if, if COVID's done anything for us, they've given this great opportunity to meet people all over the country. In fact, meet people all over the world. Um, I was, I was interviewed on a podcast in Hong Kong. So, wow. you know, um, it's, it's a great opportunity to meet people all over the country where normally I would say, yes, go to a lot of meetups, uh, go to a lot of educational events. Uh, there was some great one out. There was a great one out here just recently. Joe Fairless is actually starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, they in between they in between the um the the talks there's typically networking and you could meet the people now i wouldn't say you know hey you meet somebody you go jump in with them you know but at least you could meet somebody and then get to know them find out more about them find out what they've been doing but these are some great opportunities to to meet and get to know those people yeah, great. And I, again, that resonates with me. I, I'm, I'll be at Rod Khalif's boot camp this weekend as well, starting on Saturday. So, there's yeah, the I'm actually uh, Rod. Rod's overlaps on on Joe's, but mm-hmm. um, I've got it scheduled that I'm going to be, you know, going trying to do some networking on Rod Khalif's as well as listening to some of the the talks uh, on uh, um, the the best ever conference. But yeah, I've been to Rod's many times. Um, it's a, it's a good place to network. Yep. There's, there's a lot of good deal sponsors. There's a lot of, um, uh, high level investors that want to learn the business. That doesn't mean they're ever going to be a deal sponsor. There's a lot of people that may want to learn the business so they could become a better passive investor mm-hmm. so they can learn what to look for, or maybe they decide they want to, um, be a deal sponsor and then realize, hell, that's a lot of work. And sometimes they say, well, you know, I just would rather be a, a passive investor. So you get a mix in those different events. Absolutely. And I just want, as we kind of close out here, I really wanted to thank you for your your take on things. Almost 20 years in the business. Uh, you've been around the block. You've seen the good and the bad, the ugly. 
And I, I especially appreciate your take on the student housing piece, which isn't, again, isn't covered very frequently. So I wanted to thank you for that. So last question from my end is how can listeners get in contact with you? Uh, you could get a hold of me at um, my website, which is uh, synergeticig.com uh, or email me at jeff at synergeticig.com. And you could see synergetic. Oh, I forgot. We're not on video. Um, S <laughs> that'd be Jeff at S Y N E R G E T I C I G.com. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. That's a long, yeah. that's a long one. It's like my last yeah. name. <laughs> well, it, you could spell out the synergetic investment group.com as well, but synergetic IG is my uh, abbreviated domain. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.